Well, hallelujah. All right. How many of you are blessed? Well, open your Bible to Song of Solomon, chapter 4. We're in this series of teaching about Song of Solomon. And somebody said, well, that's a re really strange book of the Bible to study. And it kind of is. I was talking to the guy at the bank about it. Um, because the guy, the guy, hey man, you know, I just live the Bible. So I was talking about Song of Solomon with the guy at the bank, and he's like, man, you're a weird preacher. And I said, yeah. But the deal is, if you, if you can understand this book, it's a story about our life in Christ. And uh, if you get past some of the poetic language, I like some of the poetic language. I used to be a high school teacher, English teacher. And so I like all that stuff. Some people don't like it. You know, it's all right. The, the point isn't the poetic language. The point is understanding what's going on in the story and how it relates to us and how it relates to how God views you. And to me, this book has given me as much revelation about the love of God for me and for other people as anything in the Bible. So I really enjoy studying it. We're in chapter 4. And a bunch of stuff's already happened, but just to recap the last section, all these messages are on YouTube. They changed uh, how I have to put it on the website, and that's why I'm behind. They are on YouTube, but the website's behind. I'll fix it eventually. Praise Jesus. But anyway, so last week, the bride had this situation where Jesus came to her and said, why don't you come up here on this mountain and walk in your destiny? He's inviting her to do supernatural stuff with him. She responded to that by saying, why don't you turn around and you go up on those mountains and you do all that supernatural stuff and I will stay down here where it's safe because it's too scary to go do what you've called me to do. Anybody ever felt scared when Jesus asked you to do something? Just being, yeah. just being real. I remember when God asked us to move here, and we, we I just Molly and I were just remembering the other day. I we put all our stuff in this giant, 26 foot, you know, U-Haul. We moved back here to this house that we owned, but it was tiny, and we were used to living in this giant house. And I had two kids, and I and I got there before everybody. And in the house, we'd had it rented out, and they hadn't really took care of it. And when I got in there, everything was dirty. And I slept on the floor in this tiny bedroom. And I'm looking around, and there's all the dirt and stuff. And I'm like, what have I done? <laughs> I thought, you know, I was scared. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if this was a good decision. Because <laughs> I'm about to bring my family in here. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's... Frightening sometimes when God asks you to, to do things. Now, I've talked to people who've done a lot scarier stuff than that. But the deal is, is that you, it's hard to measure. I'd encourage you, don't measure courage by comparing yourself to somebody else. Courage is about overcoming fear. The measure of your courage is about how much fear you had to overcome. So the bravest people aren't always the people doing necessarily the stuff that we would imagine are, are really brave because sometimes people are just created to do certain things and it just doesn't frighten them the way it might frighten you. Yeah. But anyway, the bride refuses to go with Jesus 
And in the next scene, in chapter 3, verse 1, she can't find him anymore. She can't connect with his presence. This causes people to freak out because many of us, I'm sure, you've been walking with Jesus and you've, you've been feeling his presence and aware of him and oh, I'm in love with Jesus. And then in the next moment, maybe you do something stupid or whatever. And it's like you, you, you can't feel his presence anymore. Seems like he's gone someplace. And we can, if we're not careful, jump to a bunch of conclusions about why that's occurred. But last week we found out that basically what happened was she felt guilty about her failure and her own self-condemnation caused her not to go to the presence of God. In the new covenant, you are already in covenant with Jesus and he never leaves you. Therefore, any feeling of distance is an illusion. If you're married, you might wake up one day next to your spouse and be like, I'm not sure I feel married. <laughs> Jesse Duplantis one time, he, he talked about it. He said he woke up next to his wife and he's like, why? He was right after he got married. And he's like, I don't feel married. And his wife said, well, let your feelings line up with the facts. <laughs> The reality is Jesus is always with us whether we feel it or not. And if you will in faith believe that, you'll start to feel it. And she, she experiences that later. But this is an important point. Afterwards, he doesn't come to her and criticize her for her failure. Often we feel like the proper response to failure in the church or failure in somebody we love is to go and yell at them and criticize them and tell them what a rotten person they are in the hopes that this will somehow empower them to change. It's what we do. But it's not what Jesus does. What Jesus does is he comes and gives her additional revelation. So we read in chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, how he gives her additional revelation about who she, or excuse me, about who he is. Sometimes you need more revelation about who Jesus is. Oftentimes, the problem that people have is, is not that they are unmotivated. I find that in church, people are extremely motivated. They have a lot of zeal. And a lot of that comes down to when we gather together, we try to, we try to fire you up and fill you with zeal. And, and there's no problem with that, but often it's sort of like blowing up a balloon. You ever blown up a balloon really big, and then you let go? And it, you know, it goes all over the place. It's not, really, it's not really going towards a target. It's hard, to, it's hard to do that. That's when you have zeal divorced from wisdom. And often, you know, Christians are going all over the place. And, and the, the solution is not to yell at them and tell, tell them, you know, try harder. It's, it's often to, to teach or to educate. It's to give additional revelation. The problem we tend to have in the body of Christ is there's a lot of ought-tos and not, not enough how-tos. I mean, I went to church for a long time. Well, you ought to forgive so-and-so. You ought to pray for the sick. You ought, to, you ought to live holy. You ought to. I'm like, yeah, I agree with all that. How many of you agree with all I mean, I, I, you ought to live like a Christian. Yeah, right. I agree. But How? How do you do this stuff? 
And, and what, what you often need is, is greater revelation of who Jesus is, and, and that's what he gives her. And the reason is that if you see who Jesus is, you'll see who you are. 1 John 4.17 says that as he is, as Jesus is, so are you right now in this world. And this is what Jesus does. He shows her, shows the bride who he is. And then, starting in verse 4, and this is where we'll start, he starts to tell her about who she is. Now, he gives her a bunch of poetic language to describe a bunch of different things about her. I'm not going to read all this. But each, each compliment here, it's speaking to something specific about her identity. So let's just read a couple. It says, Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're fair. You have dove's eyes within your locks. All right. Here's how this works. Let's say that you go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I'm trying to do Matthew 6.33, which says I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. How many of you know that verse? Well, the problem is, Jesus, as much as I try to only focus on you, I'm just, I'm just looking at all this different stuff. I'm not good at it. I'm terrible at focusing. I have, eight, I have spiritual ADHD. That's, that's my problem. I'm failing to do Matthew 6.33. Well, well what, do you, what do you do about that? Jesus comes back to you and he'll say, no, you're confused. You do not have spiritual ADHD. You have dove's eyes. The deal about doves is they can only look at one thing at a time because of the way their eyes are structured. What's he saying? You might think you're bad at focusing, but let me tell you who you really are. You're extremely focused. You're really good at it. If you're failing, it might be because you're seeing yourself the wrong way. And what Jesus loves to do is speak into your identity, specific truths, in order to help you get breakthrough in the area that you need. You might think, well, I'm not very good at, at understanding the Bible. Well, verse 2, Jesus is going to say, Your teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which come up from the washing. All right, what's that about? Well, the Bible says that, that the Scripture, undigested, is like meat. You've got to have teeth to eat meat, right? Yeah. So he's saying this, you're really good at getting revelation out of the Scripture. We'll say, well, no, I'm not, Pastor. That's why I come to church. No. You need to change your confession. You need to change how you see yourself. Are you a person that can get revelation out of the Bible or not? Jesus says you are. So I'm not going to go through all of these things. Uh, but, you know, he says your lips are like a thread of scarlet. Anybody ever have a problem with watching your mouth? Boy, there's some stuff coming out of my mouth, Jesus, that I don't really like. Well, he says, you know what? Your lips are like scarlet. They're, all your speech is redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Every, every word is redemptive. So he says a whole bunch of, of things about her, all right? He speaks into who she is. And then in verse 6, this is a powerful verse, he says, Until the day break and the shadows flee away, 
I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. So if you remember the storyline, he says, come up here on this mountain. And she says, no. But then he says, okay, I'm sorry. What I meant was, come sit up here on the bridal car with me. I've got all these angels protecting us. Uh, I'm a conquering king. I'm an overcomer. And so are you. And then he tells her who she is. And empowered by the revelation of who Jesus is and the revelation of who she is, she now says, yes. Where she previously failed, now she's able to succeed. How many of you can look back on your Christian life and you can see where there was an area where you'd previously failed, but then you got some additional revelation and now you're able to do it? That's how life works. That's what she's experiencing. This is a great, a, great, a great reminder that when we're failing or when people around us are failing, usually it's not for a lack of effort. I try to live with the conviction that people really want to serve Jesus if they're a Christian as a pastor, which means that, that I've got I to gotta feed the sheep, not, not beat the sheep. <laughs> usually, it's, usually it's not a lack of motivation. It's not. Usually it's, it's you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes I don't know what you don't know. Sometimes I don't know the answer. But I'll try to find the answer with you. So she says, yes, hallelujah. And she starts to walk in her destiny. And as a response to that, in verse 7, Jesus says, you are all fair. You're all beautiful, my beloved. There is no spot in you. There is no spot. You're spotless. You're pristine. In Macbeth, anybody read Macbeth? I don't know where Carolyn is. Anyway, my one other lit person, Don's read it. In Macbeth, so this is a famous play by Shakespeare. You've heard this line. Uh, Macbeth gets this prophecy from these witches that he's going to become king. So he goes and kills the current king, and then he comes into his wife with these bloody daggers, and he's like, ah, I just killed the king. What are we going to do? And Lady Macbeth says, man up. And then she grabs the daggers, and she, she runs in there and, and uh, puts, puts the daggers and the blood on, on these two servants, and they kill the servants, so they blame the servants for, for killing the king. Well, later in the play... Lady Macbeth is wandering around in the middle of the night. She's losing her mind, and she's saying, Out! Out, spot! Except she cusses. All right? so, so she's trying to wash the, the blood off of her hands. She thinks there's a spot on her hands, and she's washing the blood over and over, trying to get rid of it. The deal is, though, there's no spot on her hands. It's her own imagination. And her guilty conscience drives her literally insane. That's what the spirit of religion does to you. It's trying to get you to cleanse something that's already been cleansed. Get the spot out. Well, Jesus says you're already spotless. Did the blood of Jesus work or not? It worked. So you're, you're a new creation. Now, you can still sin, and, and you want to walk free from that, and that's a whole other sermon. But in Jesus, you're forgiven. I gave you a whole list of scriptures there to, to prove that. I'm not going to read all those. 
But she says, I'm going I'm to go to the mountain of myrrh. I'm going to go to the hill of frankincense. Then in verse 8, he says, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. Come with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana to the top of Shinar and Hermon, from the leopard's dens, from the mountain of, of lions. Or I did that backwards. But anyway, he says, Come up here. She says, No. She gets additional revelation. She starts to do it. He says, you're doing awesome. Now why don't you try this? In other words, there's always higher levels of destiny. There's always another mountain to, to go to. Now you don't climb the mountain in your own strength, but, but there's, always more, there's always more in Jesus. That's why I love Jesus, because I get bored easily. But thank God Jesus isn't boring. There's always more to learn and do and see. Now in verse 9, the theme of the, of the song begins to switch. The first four chapters up to this point really are about Christ, excuse me, our inheritance in Christ. They're about Jesus' love for us and, and um, how much He loves us and how much we have received because of his goodness and love. However, after this, there's a shift and the theme begins to be about Christ's inheritance in us. We have an inheritance in Christ. First Peter says that it's reserved in heaven for us and it's, it's, you can't destroy it. But Christ also has an inheritance in us. And you'll notice he starts to talk about this. He says in verse 9, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one of your eyes, with one chain of your neck. I used to not really believe in love at first sight until I had kids. <laughs> There's, there's few things in life that are as amazing as the first time you see your kids. I've gotten to be there three times. And I can still see their faces. Before we had kids, my, my wife and I, we were, in, we were in love with each other. We just, we've always had a great relationship. We're, we're in love and... And our lives are primarily about us and how we connect and um, nothing selfish or bad at all. It's just, just about us and how, how we do life together. But then we decided to have a, a, our Isaac, our firstborn, and she got pregnant. And suddenly the priorities in life began to change. And, and we painted this room, you know, like you do. And to, I hate painting, but we did it anyway. We painted this, this room. We bought a... We bought a crib and we thought about this is this is where the baby's gonna sleep we bought a rocking chair and we thought we you know I pictured I pictured holding my my son in this rocking chair rocking him to sleep got all the blankets these are the blankets that we're going to use to wrap the baby and when when he was born and when my two daughters were born with one look they ravished my heart Do you know that the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 
that, that God in eternity past, He actually picked you out and chose you for Himself. And I was thinking about that, and I, <laughs> we tend to use that verse to, to talk about a bunch of doctrines about a, a elect, you know, election and, and all this, and, and I've taught that, and I don't want to get into all that. I felt like God was asking me, you know, son, what if, what if maybe that verse isn't so much about you creating a bunch of theology about, uh, about when I chose you and, and, and fighting with all these people, what if, what if it's maybe more about what you felt the first time you saw your boy? What if it's about the heart of the father saying, look, the moment I saw you. See, in eternity past, the Bible says, the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means that Jesus looked forward into the future and he saw you. And from that moment, he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm undone. And he already made a commitment. The moment he looked into the future and saw you, the, he already made the commitment, I'm going to come down here and die to rescue that person. It's love at first sight. It's, it's amazing. Then he says in verse 10, How fair, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is your love than wine? Well, that verse ought to sound familiar. It's very similar to chapter 1, verse 3, or no, excuse me, verse 2, where we tell Jesus, we say, your love is better than wine. How many of you know that the love of Jesus is better than anything on planet Earth? Well, Get this revelation. Jesus says, our love for him is much better than wine. I don't know if you get that. <laughs> Ephesians 1.18. Let's, let's go look at it. Ephesians 1.18. This is a great prayer. Paul prays to the book for the uh, uh, church at Ephesus. He says, he prays that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints. Now, for a long time I read that, and I thought that was saying that we need to get a revelation of our inheritance in Christ. Now, you do need to get a revelation of your inheritance in Christ. There's lots of scripture about that. But that's not what this is saying. Whose inheritance is it? It's his inheritance. In who? In us. So, in Jesus, there's an inheritance for me, which is his love for me. But inside of me, there's something that Jesus died for, which is my voluntary affection for Him. It's His inheritance. It's what He died to secure. And I want to give it to Him. 
The Moravian missionaries, when they would go out, the, the people would stand on the shore and they'd yell and they'd say, win for the lamb the reward of his suffering. Jesus died to secure something. He died to secure the, the worship and admiration and love from people all over the planet. So when these missionaries would go out, they're saying, go, go minister to these people in other nations, get them born again, get them, get them to understand the love of God, and then they'll love Jesus, and Jesus will get what he, what he paid for. Psalm 2.8 says, this is a prophetic conversation between the Father and Jesus, and he says, you'll ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance. Who's the heathen? You are. <laughs> Not anymore. You've been saved. But the, but the point is that, that, you know, at some point a missionary or somebody came here, preached the gospel to you, and, and you gave your life to Jesus. And now when you voluntarily love Jesus, you're giving him his inheritance. Now, he doesn't, he doesn't demand that you do it. You have free will. You can choose no which is an empowering reality. It means that you've got something to give Jesus. Something that He wants. Something that's valuable. He doesn't need it. He's not going to die and fall off the throne if you don't give it to Him. But He really wants and He enjoys it. And you ought to, you ought to want that. In my marriage, I don't want it to just be a one-way street. I want, to, I want to love and enjoy my wife, but I want my wife to love and enjoy me. Now, which one do you do first? Do you do your inheritance in Christ or His, his inheritance in you? Which revelation do you need first? What's, what's 1 John 4.19 said? We love Him because He first loved us. So, a lot of people have a hard time loving Jesus. Why? They don't know how much He loves them. If you knew how much Jesus loved you, you wouldn't have any problem worshiping Jesus. Right? So you've got to read the first half of the Song of Solomon before you can read the second half. But the second half is there. And it's awesome. I want to serve Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to give Jesus His inheritance. Go back to Song of Solomon. I can get there. In uh, verse 11 through verse 15, he talks about this, actually starting in verse 12. He says, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. That was, um, sometimes people get hung up on that. Why does he keep calling her his sister? That, that was like, it's not talking about like your literal sister. It was, a, it was an expressive way that they had in their culture to talk about their, their beloved. All right, so it's not anything weird. So a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. And then he describes how her heart's like a garden. So, so he's saying there's, there's all these things. There's, there's stuff inside of you that I enjoy. I, I love it when you spend time with me. I love doing life with you. I love getting to experience the things that you like to do. I, I like to hang out with you. 
And so then, in verse 16, she makes this pretty radical statement. Or actually, I wanted to point out verse 15 for you. It says, A fountain of gardens, a well of living water, and streams of Lebanon is, of Lebanon is my, my bride. There's three things there. A well of living water. That's John 4, 14. He talks to the lady at the woman at the well. That's talking about being born again and having your, your spirit recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Then he talks about how, but that's, that's not all yet you are. You also have streams coming out of your heart. That's John 7, 38, that you got rivers of life flowing out of you. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the blind to walk and the lame, or lame to walk and the blind to see, right? And then he says, a fountain of gardens. So th this water that's inside of her and coming out, it's, it's feeding gardens all around her. It's producing fruit. If you get a revelation of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you and you get a revelation of how to let him out, you'll produce fruit. Not just in your life, but in the life of people around you. Yeah. Is that a good word? Yeah. All right, now let's finish up here with this verse. She makes this statement, which is kind of a crazy statement. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Misty Edwards wrote a great song about that. Uh, the north wind usually is cold and bitter, and we don't like it very much. And then the south wind is warm and refreshing. And she makes this statement, let both of these things come and let it blow on my heart. Now, it's not good. Don't, don't pray that something bad will happen in your life. Yeah. All right? God's not the source of our problems. But what she's saying is that I'm making a commitment, Jesus, that I'm going to do life with you. And whatever wind blows my way, whether it's a good or a bad, I'm going to let it blow over my heart. And in the middle of that, I'm going to choose worship. And when I choose worship, whether it's the, the cold, bitter wind, whether something bad's happening, or whether it's the warm south wind when something good's happening, those winds, they're going to, they're going to flavor. They're going to uh, uh, provide an incense to my worship that's going to go up to heaven. And it's going to be beautiful. And, and so she's just saying, I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to give you your inheritance. I'm going to love you through the good and the bad. How many of you can say that? Yeah. It's easy to love Jesus when things are good. But Hebrews 13, verse 15 says this, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. He says, offer up the sacrifice of praise. What's that? What's the sacrifice of praise? He says, it's when you give thanks. When you say thank you. When is it a sacrifice? When you don't want to do it. <laughs> there are seasons that it's easy to worship God and say thank you. But we need to consider this. When you choose worship and choose thanksgiving in the midst of trials and difficulties, you're doing something that you can only do while you're down here. You're offering worship. You're offering a, a fragrance from your heart, from your garden, that, that you only have an opportunity to give while you're down here.
Because one day you'll be in heaven and there's no more tears, there's no more problems. And so you can't give a sacrifice of praise in heaven. But you can give one down here. It's a unique fragrance. When the cold wind blows on your heart, you can choose worship. You can choose to say thank you. Thankfulness is one of the most important things we can ever learn. It's the default attitude of the believer. And if you stay thankful, you're in the will of God. Everybody worries about being in the will of God. Look, if you'll just be thankful, you're in the will of God. A lot of times that's all you got to do. So how do you handle, real quick, the cold north winds of life? Well, first of all, recognize God isn't the source of your problems. God's, God's not the problem. God's the answer. God loves you. Then you want to continue to believe in His goodness and His will for your life. How many of you have prophetic promises or you know promises in the Bible? You want to keep believing the promises even when there's problems. That's, what verse, that's number three. Stand on His promises until the breakthrough comes. Just keep believing God. Ephesians 6 says, having done all to stand, stand fast then. Just keep standing. But while you're standing, choose worship. And then as you worship, realize you're giving something to Jesus that matters to him and that you won't always have the opportunity to give. That's an amazing thing to consider. I want to give Jesus his inheritance. Part of that is, is learning how to worship in seasons that are difficult. Well, hallelujah. Let's all stand up. I'm going to pray for everybody. My prayer team can come down here. Hopefully that blessed you. It's a little, the way the song is, I just kind of try to teach through it so it's a little bit maybe not as organized as what I usually do but anyway I'm going to pray for everybody I'm going to pray that you would have revelation of your inheritance in Christ and that he would give you also revelation of his inheritance in you it's a powerful reality it's a powerful revelation to know that you have something that God wants hallelujah father we love you this morning I just pray that you would show people the reality of your love, that, that they would be gripped by the revelation that you're a good God, that you're for them, that you want good for them, but that in every season we would choose worship. Whether it's good or bad, that we would be thankful and that we would give you what you died for. And Lord, let the Holy Spirit begin to flow out of us more and more and bring life and fruit and blessing into everybody around us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.